Uh, it's great to be back. Last weekend we had a great time. We were down in London at Word of Life with Gleason and the Marina. And it was great being down there and seeing how their church is growing and developing, meeting their little baby, Matthew. And uh, they are doing so well. Uh, and we, we, were, we met in this hotel and we were also being streamed to Madrid. They have a life group meeting in Madrid already. So there's multiplication and growth going on. They have um, a guy in their church whose fiance is in Madrid at the moment. And so she is um, leading a life group over there. And on Sunday, they meet together and they receive the word at the same time. So it was very exciting to be with them and to see what God is doing down there. So this is um, part four of We Are Family. And part one, we looked at uh, Genesis 12, 1 to 4 was the main scripture. You know, God has created family on purpose. Yes. God wants to bless me and my whole family. That's right. God wants to bless you and your whole family. And God wants to bless us as a family. And obedience is the key to receiving God's promises. There is a call to us to be obedient. The, the next week was really a call to the men, the heads of the households. You know, also to, you know, if you're a single parent as well, to rise up in the authority that God has given you. To be heads of the household that are full of the word of God. That that's the foundation in your home. And as you do that, you're setting the standards for your children to copy, to know how to live their lives. And then last week, we looked at inheritance. And I love the, the scripture that Peter brought out from Proverbs 13, 22, And said a better translation of it is a good person leaves an inheritance of moral stability and of wisdom. We're meant to pass on the baton to our children. Yeah. What we hear on a Sunday, what we learn, it's not for us. To keep it's for us to pass on the revelation that we receive the words that we receive we are to train them to teach them so that they take hold of their inheritance and in the, in the second part of the sermon peter was really talking about the inheritance that we have that we need to grasp hold of in order to teach our children we need to be able to grasp hold of the inheritance exactly. ourselves yes. so that we pass that inheritance on you know children their faith it's not complicated by thoughts by emotions by responsibility and by decisions their faith is simple. If you say to them, let's pray and you'll be healed, they believe it. That's right. I can't, I, I've lost count of the amount of times my children, especially when they were young, if they'd hear me cough and I'd get a hand slapped on me. Be healed, mum, in Jesus' name. Yeah. You know, because their expectation was I'd be healed immediately. There isn't all this fuzz to work through. So we need to train them when they're young. When we train them when they're young, they don't depart mm -hmm. when they are yeah. older. That's right. But it's the same is true if we train our children in the wrong way to do things. You know, part of my testimony about fear, I always say when I bring my testimony, children don't know fear unless we show them fear. So they don't know to be afraid of a spider unless you are afraid of a spider. Exactly. And it works for everything. It's things that are, there are things that are learnt as we get older from the way other people are. So we need to be careful in the way that we live our lives and what we show our children so that they learn to walk in faith, to respond in faith. Yeah, so today, so we've looked at heads of household, we've looked at men, we've looked at children. So there's one other very important part of a family, and that is the woman. So I want to read something to you now, and I'd like you to close your eyes, please. And as I read it, I want you to picture what I'm reading. So you'll find it much easier to follow if you close your eyes. I just picture this scene as it unfolds. The scene begins in darkness. Darkness over the deep and God's breath hovering over the waters. The breathless moment in the dark before the first notes of a great symphony or concert, a play or an epic film. All is formless, empty, dark. Then a voice speaks. Let there be light. And suddenly there is light, pure light, magnificent light. Its radiance will enable us to see now what is unfolding. The voice speaks again 
and again. Let there be a vault in the midst of the waters and let it divide water from water. Let the waters under the heavens be gathered in one place so that the dry land will appear. Creation in its early stages begins like any great work of art with uncut stone or a mass of clay, a rough sketch, a blank sheet of music, formless and empty as Genesis 1-2 has it. Then God begins to fashion the raw materials he has made like an artist working with a stone or sketch or page before him, light and dark, heaven and earth, land and sea. It's beginning to take shape. With passion and brilliance, the creator works in large sweeping movements on a grand scale. Great realms are distinguished from one another and established. Then he moves back over them again for a second pass as he begins to fill in color, detail, finer lines. Let the earth grow grass, plants and trees bearing fruit. Let there be lights in the vault of the heavens. Let the waters swarm with the swarm of living creatures and let fowl fly over the earth. Forest and meadow burst forth, tulips and pine trees and moss-covered stones. And notice, the masterpiece is becoming more intricate, more intimate. He fills the night sky with a thousand million stars and he names them, sets them in constellations. Into our world, God opens his hand and the animals spring forth. Myriads of birds in every shape and size and song take wing. Hawks, herons, pelicans, all the creatures of the sea leap into it. Whales, dolphins, fish of a thousand colours and designs. Horses, gazelles, buffalo thunder across the plains, running like the wind. It is more astonishing than we could possibly imagine. From water and stone to pomegranate and rose to leopard and nightingale, creation ascends in beauty. The plot is thickening. The symphony is building and swelling higher and higher to a crescendo. No wonder the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. A great hurrah goes up from the heavens. The greatest of all masterpieces is emerging. What was once formless and empty is now overflowing with life and color and sound and movement in a thousand variations. Most importantly, notice that each creature is more intricate and noble and mysterious than the last. Then something truly astonishing takes place. God sets his own image on the earth. He creates a being like himself. He creates a son. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. It is nearing the end of the sixth day, the end of the creator's great labor, as Adam steps forth the image of God, the triumph of his work. He alone is pronounced the son of God. Nothing in creation even comes close. He is magnificent. Truly, the masterpiece seems complete. And yet, the master says that something is not good, not right. Something is missing. And that something is Eve. And the Lord God cast a deep slumber on the human, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed over the flesh where it had been. And the Lord God built the rib he had taken from the human into a woman. <clears throat> and he brought her to the human. She is the crescendo, the final astonishing work of God, woman. In one last flourish, creation comes to a finish, not with Adam, but with Eve. She is the master's finishing touch. Eve is breathtaking. Given the way creation unfolds, how it builds to ever higher and higher works of art, can there be any doubt that Eve is the crown of creation? not an afterthought, not a nice addition like an ornament on a tree. She is God's final touch, his peace to resistance. She fills a, a place in the world nothing and no one else can fill. The whole vast world is incomplete without her. Creation reached its zenith in her. Mm, wow, what an amazing picture, what an amazing picture. God didn't design woman to be pushed into a corner to be crushed under men's feet, to be second rate, to be looked down upon. God created woman to be important, to have her own role. 
She is just as important as Adam. Yes. And you are beautiful. You are beautiful. That's right. You are beautiful. Genesis 2 verse 18 says, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And in verse 21, as I've just read, we see that God came and took a rib from the side of Adam. He didn't take a bone from the foot so that the woman would be under the man. And neither did he take a bone from the head so that she would be over the man. God took a bone from the side of the man so that he would be a help, so she would be a helpmate alongside the man. A helper. A helper is a person who contributes to something and the furtherance of something. So today, in what we're talking about, as a wife, as a mother, you are there, a person who contributes to the fulfillment of the family and the furtherance of that family. You're not somebody who is just there to make everything work. You have a very important role as a helper. You are there to complement and compensate for one another. That's how husband and wife work together. There is a complementing and a compensating for one another. It's amazing when you look at married couples, how we often say how alike they are or how different they are. But yet the differences work because they compensate for one another. When Alan and I got married, we used to joke about how Alan was the serious one and I was the fun one. And as the years have gone by, we've become more and more alike, haven't we? Although I still laugh a bit more. But anyway... (laughs) But that's good, because we need somebody serious in our relationship. Otherwise, I think it would just be a bit of a madhouse, wouldn't it, in our house? But we complement one another, and we compensate for one another. And we have seen that over the years, as we've raised our children, at different circumstances, in ministry. And I'm sure those of you who've been married for a while, you can see how you have enabled and helped and worked with one another. But if you're not married, I don't want you to switch off. Because you are so important to this family. And God has somebody for you as well. And he's getting you ready. And you might think, how much longer have I got to wait to be ready? Well, that's up to him. I'm sorry, I don't have an answer to that. But it is God's desire for the majority of us to be married. There's a very few who have a calling to be single. And that is a a very specific calling. So we pray and we stand with people to find their partners. Because God really has called us to work together. Proverbs 18, 22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And at this point, we normally turn to the husbands and say, turn to your wives and say you're a good thing. But I, I, I want all the women in here, whether you're married or not, I want you to say, I am a good thing. I and I want you to say it as if you believe it. I am a good thing. It's, it's right to speak good things about ourselves and to confess the word. And husbands, as we go along, and men, as we go along, you know, I don't know how you view your wife and, and what she does and her involvement, but I want you to see how important she is to your family and to this family. Proverbs 31, we all know it's a very uh, uh, famous scripture, isn't it, about um, the the perfect woman, the Proverbs 31 woman. You know, as soon as somebody starts to read that, we all go, oh, no, have I really got to be like that? Well, the fact of the matter is, with God's help, yes, he can work stuff in your life. But I want to be a Proverbs 31 woman because I want to bless my husband and I want to bless my children. And it says, uh, verses 1 to 2, a wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. And then verse 28 says, Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. I don't know about you, but I like praise. And Alan 
often says to me, Claire, you're fishing for compliments again. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to keep fishing because I like those compliments. I like it when my husband tells me I've done something good. Do you know, I love it when I clean an area and I go, Alan, Alan, come through and have a look at this. Because <laughs> I want to hear him go, yeah, that's really good, Claire. Because you've got to understand, time for me is precious. And to have time to clear a side in my kitchen, yes. I have this long side under the window, which is ready for Christmas now. I'm so excited. It's nice, nothing on it, is there? Let's hope it stays that way. Paper has a habit of multiplying in our house. Anyway, need to get more techies, tech savvy and do lists on, my, uh, on here. Anyway, but a wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. I don't know what, if you know anything about rubies. I don't know much about rubies, but I've got an article here about rubies. Um, first of all, I want to say there are only two things in the Bible that are compared to rubies. A wife of noble character and wisdom. And the only two things compared to rubies. Rubies is known as the king of the gemstones. For thousands of years, I'm just going to read a little bit from an article. For thousands of years, the ruby has been considered one of the most valuable gemstones on earth. It has everything a precious stone should have. Magnificent colour, excellent hardness and outstanding brilliance. In addition to that, it is an extremely rare gemstone, especially in its finer qualities. Rubies are rare. And in fact, the thing about rubies is what gives it its name is its colour. That's what gives it its name. And there's not that many rubies in the world compared to other um, gemstones. But virtually every ruby has a, well, I would just call it a fault, but that's not what they call it in the um, world of gemstones. I can't find the word. Where is it? It has an inclusion. I think it's called an inclusion. Is that right? Yes, thank you. Every, every ruby, virtually every ruby has an inclusion. And that's what makes it unique. And that's what makes it different. So before you go, I've been compared to wisdom, aren't I wonderful, and I have the wise voice in the house, you just need to know that every ruby, uh, most rubies have an inclusion that makes them unique so that they're not pure. And in fact, if you find a pure ruby, don't let go of it because it is worth a fortune. And it says here at the end, it says, uh, inclusions within a ruby could be said to be its fingerprint, a statement of its individuality, and at the same time, proof of its genuineness and natural origin. The cut is essential. Only a perfect cut will underline the beauty of this valuable and precious stone in a way befitting the king of the gemstones. However, a really perfect ruby is as rare as perfect love. If you do come across it, it will cost a small fortune. But when you have found your ruby, don't hesitate, hang on to it. Mm. And the thing is, women and men, but women, you have been made perfect in Christ. Yes, you are unique and yes, you are individual, but you have been made perfect in Christ and he is making you perfect. So I just want to say to you husbands in the room, do not let go of your ruby. That's right. Do not let go of your ruby. You care for your ruby and you look after your ruby and you hold on to her. It's up to you to look after who God has given you and to care for that woman so that she shines. Jesus. Says in that verse, uh, her husband has full confidence in her. This is in, at the beginning, verses 1 and 2 of Proverbs 31. Has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. And there's some things about a woman and the place that she has um, in the home and in the family. And whether we like it or not, the house is really the woman's domain. She sets the tone in the house. It's not the man who sets the tone. You as a woman set the tone in your household. And how you are determines what goes on in your home. It determines whether there is peace in your home. You know, when I was at home, I stayed at home with my children when they were young. I worked up until Abby was a year old. And then we felt that it was time that I stopped work. We were in a financial position where I could do that. And so that's the decision we made. And we then went off on to have Bex. And then shortly later, we had uh, Joe. So we had three children. That, um, Abby was five and a half when we had Joe. 
So I had three young children at home. And any stay-at-home mum who is here will know that if you've spent your whole day with children all around you screaming, they want this, they want that, you know, you're trying to keep the peace between these two and see that this one's is all right and where's the other one gone and have I fed them all? Do you know there was one day I totally forgot I had Bex? <laughs> because the other two were so demanding and Bex played so quietly, I suddenly realised I got to two o'clock and I thought, I haven't even seen Bex since breakfast. Is she all right? And she was up in her bedroom playing very happily with her dolls, you know. But when you've got... Uh, children, they start to squabble and fight, don't they? You know, even if you're at work and then you leave, you pick your kids up and you come home and you're trying to oversee homework or trying to feed them quickly or whatever you're doing, they fight, argue. That's natural life. It's part of them learning to grow up, learning to, to deal with things. But the last thing my husband needs when he comes home is for see me shouting and screaming at the children. So for me, it was my responsibility to make sure there was peace in the home. There is something that women do that I completely disagree with and I hope that nobody in here does it. Or should I say, nobody does this. The whole phrase, wait till your father comes home. When Alan's not in the house, I have delegated authority. That's right. When we're not in the house, like we weren't here in church last week, we delegated authority to uh, Peter who preached and to Joy who service led. We delegated authority. When Alan's not around, when he goes away, when he goes to India, I have authority in the home. And the thing is that Alan and I have agreed beforehand how to discipline our children. That we don't do anything on the spur of the moment. And I haven't got time to talk about agreement now, but we're gonna have a marriage uh, weekend. Is it the beginning of February? Yep. Beginning of February. And uh, Alan and I have got so much we want to share. And I know we're gonna be touching on agreement particularly because it's such an important thing of marriage. In fact, Deborah Pam, who has just gone on a plane today back to Nigeria because she's getting married. She came and saw me recently and she said to me, what, what are your um, tips for a successful marriage? And I said to her, as I was talking, I realised all the time I'm talking about walking in the light and I'm talking about agreement. And those are my two top tips. If you want a successful marriage, walk in the light and make sure you agree together. But that's another whole nother <laughs> sermon. So I'm just tantalising you, come to the marriage weekend. <laughs> but, you know, we're running the house and, and overseeing the peace levels. In 1 Samuel 25, I probably haven't got time to go to it. I'm just going to tell you quickly. In 1 Samuel 25, the story of Abigail. And um, basically David and his army, they were, they were hungry and they wanted some food. And so they spoke to the servants of, of uh, Nabil, is it Nabil? And sent him to go and get, uh, to go and ask for some food. And he said, no, I'm not going to give them anything. Who do they think they are? When Abigail found out about it, she went and pleaded on behalf of her household. Because David was going to destroy every man in that household. Not just her husband, not just their male children, but every male servant. And so she went. There is something about the authority that we have over the home and over our household. And we need to exercise that authority in a righteous way, like Abigail did. So if you want to know that story, go have a look in 1 Samuel 25. It might seem extreme story to talk about, but she was protecting her home. Yeah. There's also spiritual abilities that women have. You know, it says she's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And I would say to you, husbands... Don't squash the abilities that your wife has. You are to present her as radiant before the Lord. And you can read that in Ephesians 5. And women, whether you're married or not, I want to say to you, don't hide your abilities. Don't hide the anointings that you have. Don't hide behind your husband. Don't just see him as the one who's got these amazing giftings. God has called you to be next to him, to work with him. So don't hide. You know, fathers, don't squash your girls. Don't put them in a box and say, this is what they're supposed to do. Let them dream. Yeah. Help them in their dreams yes. and what they want to become. But help it to be spirit-led. Yes. You know, with all our three children, we have sought to say, what, what is God saying to you? Yeah. 
currently, all of them are pursuing uh, what you would say are careers in the world. Yet there is an amazing anointing upon all three of my children, and they serve God in the house, wherever they are. Bex is serving down in Plymouth, in the church that she goes to. 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6. Let's have a look there. Are you okay? Thank you. I'm just going to read this part. It says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornments, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Wow. Do you realise if you don't treat your wives with respect, it hinders your prayers? Yes. Wow. Sometimes we don't like to read those bits. But in the same way, the women need to be submissive. They need to understand that their husband is the head of the house. Does that mean that, that they're under the foot? No. And that's why agreement is so important, because you work together. Yeah. It says in Ephesians 5, submit to one another in love. And then it says, wives, submit to your husbands. There is a submitting together in a marriage, so that there is a working together. And we read here about the inward beauty, that quiet and gentle spirit. And we see that in Esther, don't we? That quiet and gentle spirit that she had, that won over her husband, her king, so that he listened to her. And she worked, she worked with Mordecai, Mordecai who was her relative, and together they prayed with all of Israel. She called, she called all of the Jews to fast and pray. She was not alone. She called them all to fast and pray, to stand with her. And so you can see how she worked with another relative in her family to see the salvation for the Jews at that time. Proverbs 12 verse 4 says, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. So you are a crown. Do you know what a crown does? A crown encircles with protection. That's what it signifies. It's the finishing touch. It's the, you know, when the king or queen gets crowned, it's the finishing touch is the crown. And the word of God says you are your husband's finishing touch. Yeah, yeah. Husbands, your wife is your finishing touch. Yes. So polish your wife. Yeah. <laughs> you who aren't married yet. Wow. Grab hold of this now. Yeah. So that when you step into marriage, you step in with the right authority that God has given you. Yeah. It helps you choose the right man as well. Exactly. Because you will see, if a man treats you not right, just walk away. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. He should respect you. He should love you. He should honour you. He should cherish you. That's right. uh, crown gives honour or dignity to. It's the highest part. A wife completes the man. Well, God completes us. But it's understanding how God has called you two together. But also in that scripture, in 12 verse 4, it says, But a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. Hmm. Mm. So let's think about Solomon's wives for a minute. If you read in 1 Kings 11, verses 2 to 4, it talks about how Solomon held fast to all his wives. He held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives. Now, men, I'm sorry, can you try and imagine loving 700 wives? And it says he held fast to them in love. And that was just his wives, because it says he had 300 concubines as well. You might go, it's hard enough loving the one I have. But try 700. No wonder the man was led astray because he was pouring all his love into a woman 
Who should be your first love? God, the Lord. Whether you're a man or a woman, your first love is the Lord. And if your first love is the Lord, then it helps all the other relationships work out right yes. because you're getting your priority right. Women, we have a responsibility not to lead men astray because that's what these women did. Can you imagine 700 women demanding stuff? And they led Solomon astray and he allowed them to, he allowed them to lead him astray. One of the things that I've had to learn is Alan is not my source. God is my source. Alan is not my provider. God is my provider. Alan is not my healer. God is my healer. Alan is not the fount of all knowledge. Sorry. God is the fount of all knowledge. <laughs> but, you know, when I was first married and we had, uh, um, we got married at a very interesting time. But anyway, because of the financial situation at the time, I was, wanted Alan to find all the money. I wanted him to work it all out. And I must have driven him mad. And I had to learn, no, it's God. It's God I go to. So we need to learn who our first love is. And then think about Sapphira, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts. Here we have an agreement that was a bad agreement. It was a wrong agreement. In Acts 5, she made agreement with her husband that was wrong. In verse 2, you know, in verse 1, they sell the field and they take the money. And uh, it says, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money. The point is, it's not that they brought um, part of the money. The point is that they lied. It would have been all right if they'd have sold the field and kept half and bought half and said, I've bought you half. But that's not what they did. In verse 8, when um, they said to Sapphira, this is after Ananias had already dropped down dead. They said to Sapphira when she came, um, is this the price you got for the land? And she replied, yes. So they were in agreement for something wrong. Right. So it's really important. And this is where, again, why agreement is really important. It's really important that you discuss and you talk about things, but you do it in line with the word of God and you do it in line with scripture because that's where the blessing is and that's where the anointing is. We need to learn to hold each other accountable before God. And that's the working together. Yeah, yeah. When Alan and I first came here to Manchester, we didn't know a soul. There was nobody for us to go to, to pastor. We pastored one another and we had to hold one another accountable. And I know we sometimes don't like it, but I, I'll turn to Alan and go, when was the last time you had a really good time with the Lord? Just like he would do that to me. It's part of holding one another accountable. And there's lots of other decisions. So I need to wrap it up now. But um, let's just stand. Oh, no, actually, stop. Let the ladies stand, please. Women stand. Girls stand. Females stand. I never know what to call everybody. Mums, mothers, daughters, sisters. Let's all stand. You're beautiful. Yes. You are a ruby. Yes. You are an incredible gem. Amen. Did you know, and I can't remember if I said this, a fine, pure ruby is worth more than a diamond. Yes. And you are compared to rubies, not yes. to diamonds. And he has made you perfect in him. He's anointed you. He's gifted you. He's called you to be a helper alongside your husband if you're married. And if you're not married, he's called you to be a helper alongside the husband he's preparing for you. So get yourself ready. Don't mope around, but get yourself ready. You know, the enemy likes to work on our emotions and likes us to circle down here somewhere so we don't do anything for God. Instead of shining with his beauty, with God's beauty that he's put within you. Yes. So men, I just want you to, to reach out and just pray. You don't have to lay hands on anyone, but let's just pray. I want to hear the men just praying for the women. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Women, just keep your eyes closed. Just focus on God.
You are precious and you are honored in his sight. You are beautiful. You are worth so much, so valuable. And his heart is extended to you. He's gifted you. He's anointed you. He's called you. He's chosen you. And I pray now for that fresh anointing of his spirit upon you. I pray now that dreams and visions that have been hidden, that have been kept secret, that have been squashed, I pray that they will come forth now in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord. I speak boldness to every woman here. Boldness. Boldness to take up the call and destiny. Boldness to stand alongside their husbands. Boldness to be who they have been called to be. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Father, I thank you for the family. I thank you, Lord, for husbands and wives, for children, for brothers and sisters, for mothers and fathers, for daughters and sons, for grandparents, grandmothers and grandfathers, for aunts and uncles. Lord, I thank you for the body that you have placed here. Lord, I thank you, Father, that it's your will that every part of the body functions and works and every part of the family does. And we just declare and we speak over this church that we have strong marriages, that we have strong families. I call husbands forth for those who are wanting husbands. I call wives forth for those who are wanting wives. I call them forth in Jesus' name. No holding back. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you know the desires of our hearts, Lord. And I thank you, Father, for good choices to be made in line with you. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. Nobody being unequally yoked, but being yoked with those with the same call and ministry and gifting so they can run with the vision that you have put within their hearts, Lord. And I thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord. Thank you for that anointing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father.